everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. Thank you for joining us. I have my guests back from the Strong Black Women episode. We have Marissa and Tanya back in the house. It is the highest rated episode to date. So um, a congratulations for you ladies. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I brought my powerhouses back to speak about um, basically people need to run black women their money um, and talking about salary negotiating as well as proper compensation for black women, especially um, young black women. So I I brought up a post from the Huffington Post and it's written by Taryn Finley and it's called the pay gap is severely affecting black women yet only one in three Americans know, know it, which is totally true. So to date, black women make 63 cents for every dollar a white man makes. And behind black women are indigenous women and Latinas. And that's still a huge issue altogether um, that all all groups of women are not making the same amount as a man. And then if you break down race, it's just not really fair. So it's a problem. It's a huge issue. And on April, on April 7th, sorry, it's not April 7th, but I'll skip to April. There's an equal pay day for women altogether. But on August 7th is Black Women's Equal Pay Day, and that's because black it takes black women at least eight months to catch up to a man, a white man, salary-wise. So that's why that date is specifically there. And um, we I brought in another article from CNBC, and it interviewed um, about five black women, five black professionals, and it's called Five Black Women Talk Starting Salaries, Being Underpaid, and How They Ask for More. And one part of the article, one of the individuals named that they ask for, they, they do research on to what their industry gives that position, they ask for what they're worth plus 25% of that because they know as a black woman they're already going to get underballed what they deserve. So I wanted to ask you both, um, Marissa and Tanya, do you resonate with that? Do you resonate with, um, has that been, an, how have your experiences been with negotiating and do you like that whole concept of asking for 25% more because you're a black woman? Um, I think it's a really good rule of thumb. Like, it's a good starting point because I think, like, when you look at those articles and what do you think about negotiating, it's kind of like uncharted territory. There's just a lot. Um, when you look at the trend uh, in that article from uh, CNBC, a lot of those women, um, a lot of them just, like, don't know. And I think that's, the that's like, pretty accurate in the yeah. experience of, like, just being young, right? Just, like, not knowing, like, what is it I'm supposed to do in this situation? How should I navigate um, this area of life? And I think it's added added the fact that you're like a young black woman adds a whole different element to it because there aren't those outside resources like family members and kind of like this generational um, this generational 
passing of information yeah. um, to make you aware because it's not something it, it is it is information that that um, certain groups are aware of more than others but in addition to kind of um, the systematic and institutional ways in which we enforce this kind of disparity amongst races women and the way uh, pay and salary is allocated to those groups um, but there's also um there's like a, a community behind it, right? There's like a history of like teaching mm-hmm. our children, teaching our communities how to navigate these areas. And like because of the systematic and institutional impression, there's uh, are groups that are uh, more privy than others. And um, it's very intentional and deliberate. So like there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so it definitely is nice to have a rule of thumb and kind of have like an official um, way to, 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 to address this issue. Because, like, a lot of us are just sitting here in ignorance. I don't know, so I don't deserve is the result. Mm. Okay. It's like a generational wealth, but generational information gap, almost. Because it's like, when you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And the way to, like, really stay informed is to do the research. But if you don't even know that, if someone is offering in that CNBC article, I think... When someone offers you thirty thousand, and then that's the most amount of money that anybody in your family has ever made, and you're making the total amount of your whole household combined, like you don't even think to question that. It doesn't even come to your mind at all. Yeah, and there were like a lot of in that article. It was really interesting because there are like a lot of different approaches in terms of um, what do you do in this situation. What advice would you get to your former self? Because a lot of this inter- information is in retrospect, right? Yeah. If I had known then what I know now, <laughs> um, yeah. and one of the big things was that, like, you should just ask anyway. I think one of the first women, like, you should, or one of the first or second said that you should just ask anyway, like, you should know your worth, but regardless, mm-hmm. kind of just kind of, kind of have this YOLO approach to negotiating. Yeah. Whether you get it or not, like, it doesn't hurt to try. Um, and I think that's interesting considering the fact that, yeah, like, if we have this YOLO approach and we put our best foot forward no matter what, um, what's stopping us from doing that? If that is, like, a, a starting point, what's stopping us from doing that? And it's really interesting considering, like, Monique, right? Like, if I think about the most recent cases of black women negotiating and just kind of, like, just doing it anyway. Like, I'm just going to fight for what I think I, you know, deserve and what do I have to lose? And it seems like when I look at her, it's kind of like, that's like a cautionary tale. Like, there's a lot to lose. Like, it's not, like, you could lose, um, you could be, like, worse off than you started. You know, you could be in that, you know, she's a real extreme situation, but if I think about if the answer is to YOLO it and people aren't doing that, she might be a, a really good reflection to me as to why. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you almost want to ask, but you should. it's almost like you want to know what to ask for. And then there's also the fear that you may ask for too much money and they're like, no, and they never counter offer because that could happen too. And then all of a sudden with the job market that we have, there's this opportunity that was fine but then all of a sudden you just lost it all together so that's a real fear in itself that we have to contend with and if you are in that article also mentioned that black women are a majority of the household breadwinners so they already play a key role and you have kids that you're thinking about and it's like i don't I don't want to lose this opportunity. So you know what? If this thirty thousand is more than my parents ever saw or anybody in my family ever saw, maybe I should just take it and run with it. But then it's also dangerous territory because, like, even the Monique situation, a lot of people were saying that 
okay, she's been out of the game a little. Like, maybe she should go around and do some tours here and there to get her name relevant. So there's that line, too, that we have to think about is, at what point do you, is there any more experience that you need to get for that more money that you're asking for? Or are they really just lowballing you? So it's like finding which one really is it, but then it comes down to knowing your worth more than anything. How much am I really worth? And how much would someone who is from a different ethnic background than I am would get for this? Just off the cuff. So I do want to touch upon worth, and I think that's a reoccurring theme in the article. And just to share also for um, listeners, the articles, I will share them in the description on um, when the podcast on the podcast episode. So feel free to take a read as well um, along with us. However, black women in our in the U.S. as a demographic are the highest educated and the fastest growing um, population of business owners right now. So there is a high wealth with black women, and it's just very ironic but interesting to see that the the whole the situation on um, questioning worth is happening proportionally to a very valuable population in the United States. Especially black women, I think I believe make up about seven, um, eight seven to eight percent of the United States um, population. So it's just very interesting that a very valuable part of this population has. Um, there's a lot of still a lot of baggage around worth. Um, do, do you think both as um, young black women that you can can kind of share your experiences on um, what your thoughts on that is? On you mean like on worth in the workforce and how that relates to getting paid what you deserve or yeah because um if fairly compensated especially as you're both millennials um you're part of a generation that black women are just really black girl magic is a real thing out here like black women you have degrees you have high degrees um you are entrepreneurs and as a population black women are just killing it out here um in general so like do you feel like the worth isn't being seen enough do you feel like there's a lot more healing that has to happen in the community regardless of accomplishments being occurring um it's just very ironic that the highest one of the most successful populations is still having a difficult time with self-worth especially to do with compensation um well what i was i was thinking is that okay so black women are we are actively participating in entrepreneurial space. And then I mainly work in corporate America. Um, what I think is that when, when, when we graduate from college, there's like two different experiences. So there's your educational experience. That's one thing. And then there's your workforce experience. And those two different things can be aligned or they can't be aligned sometimes. So that's also a very tricky place to start off with. Um, and one thing I know that my mom always used to tell me is that whenever you start a new job, that's where you go hard in whatever you're asking for. It's easier to um, make strides when you're going in first. That's okay. where you want to ask for more. Um, because once you get in there, it's harder to climb up and ask for more money because you're already in a comfortable situation. Um, so it's like that's where you have your biggest cards to play because if they like you, if they're offering something to you, more than likely they want to keep you. Um, yeah, that's 
that's what I found is that just finding the balance between your work experience and doing that at the same time, like in college or wherever it is, it's like gaining that valuable experience. So once you come out of college, you have that leg up against everybody else who just only went to college and just got the degree, but you have the degree equal to like work experience. So I want to, Tanya, I want to touch on something you mentioned about, you said your mom informed you, who's also a black woman, informed you about basically when to negotiate. And um, and do you feel like other black women are sharing, because it sounds like there was a sense of worth that your mother shared with you, mm-hmm. like knowing your worth. Do you feel like other black, like your mom is in common with other black women in your lives, especially black women of older generations? Or do you feel like, for both of you that what Tanya's mother did for sharing that sentiment with Tanya, do you feel like that is still an anomaly um, compared to other black women that you have experienced in your lives or other black women you've witnessed sharing information Mm -hmm. to younger black women uh, around um, worth with pay? I mean, I think that that's the big discrepancy with all of this, right? When we think about why is it that black women are the highest growing group in terms of educational attainment, um, yet are still earning $63 to every dollar that a man is earning. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because in America, the American dream is that, or at least the, the, the big correlation is that more education means more money. And that's not what happened. That's not yeah. is what's happening with this group. And that like needs to be unpacked. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, kind of what was touched on in that HuffPost article. Um, I think Cheryl Sandberg is doing a lot of great things in terms of not only having April 10th being equal pay, um, equal pay day for like women but also having like you said that august 7th being uh, black women's equal pay day and having this continuing this conversation that not only are the intersectionality of marginalization um where economics is is um concerned and a big part of that is utilizing your collective power and having that open discussion and open forum and i think when we um when we think about like the most taboo conversations in this country (laughs) um you know you don't want to talk about you know, your polls are private, your prayers are private, and your pay is private. <laughs> and it's like, why is it, in terms of pay, why is it that we don't have those discussions? And who, to whose benefit? Like, when we have these, like, unspoken rules where we don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about salary, why is it that we do that? And who does that benefit, ultimately? Because what I'm seeing right now is, like, like with the data is showing and, like, you know, um, whether we're aware that's our experience or not, there is a larger group in, in terms of capitalism and, and, like, maintaining and enforcing these hierarchies and, and these, um, like, uh, social discrepancies by not having a conversation. And you got to think about, like, ask questions about, like, well, why don't you discuss your salary? Why is that such a taboo and uncomfortable um, position? Um yeah, that's a good question. Why don't we? I actually never thought about that. But I you mean, you do get like you—you you yeah. kind of start. You start to inch your body away. You yeah. gotta, <laughs> you know, you start, you know, fixing your clothes. Yeah, and, you know, it's like too much information people, now. Yeah, and you get a little high pitch <laughs> and start scratching your neck a little bit when people start mm. asking you about how much money you have. You, you know, you—you you either do the, you know, I'm eating. You yeah. know, or you do the the I'm in this range. You know, but no, you nobody ever wants to actually share the number, and it's kind of like, what is it that you are protecting? And it, is it possible that, you know, we might be thinking or we were, we're, we're told not to t- say it in thinking that we might be protecting ourselves, but ultimately we're protecting like these other groups. Yeah. And um, yeah. um, when I think about 
um, the power of having those conversations, the power of having that transparency, which is kind of ironic considering, like, I feel like in our generation, as a millennial, like, we're the most transparent a generation has ever been before, you know? Like, I can know, like, what you ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I can know, like, your favorite music. I can know, <laughs> yeah, like, your who's favorite... your partner? What's everything. your favorite position? But, like, I can't know how much you get paid for the work and contributions that you make to the society. Um, that's, like, a... For black women, that's a really big issue. So, like, yeah. we kind of... Like, that taboo is not working in our favor. That's not protecting us because we're getting paid less even though we're working a lot harder than we've ever worked before. So, as you mentioned that around, like, how pay is one of those areas that are taboo to share. Um, We know that black women are the breadwinners for a lot of their homes. As an international relations major, I remember I was taught that women globally, um, the dollar spreads further with women within their communities. There's, for some, I don't know all the origins of it, but culturally, women are much more... um, generous with the dollar within their communities and it moves through the community better um however and for and that's in tons I'm of not studies sure if that's i'm not sure if that's true especially if, if if our conversation is about black women um i don't know if the black dollar um if women are primarily the breadwinners of the households we can assume they're primarily the breadwinners of their community and if they're breadwinners of their community um i think i was watching like this show by killer bike on netflix um where like the the dollar only spends about six hours in the black community so even though we're we are the the, we are the income generators um but but for some reason we're not able to keep that dollar community that's a much larger conversation outside that you know that's a result of other factors outside Mm -hmm. of black women yeah yeah i mean the thing is like it's it's a it's a conversation cringer though for for sure like like when you think about it i mean like i'm thinking in this moment it's like why don't I ever tell people what I make? But I do remember that once when I really started getting in the game of asking for more money, it was because of one co-worker, well, two co-workers, but one in particular. He told me how much he was making. And I was like, oh, <laughs> when I came to interview for this job, they told me for sure there was a price range that I was worth. And they would never pay anybody more than that. And when he told me, it was like $10,000 more than what they told me. And I was like, oh, my God. That's crazy. Well, well, even though I feel like a ton of white folks don't want to acknowledge sometimes unfair treatment or privilege, I know innately that there are white folks who are afraid to talk about their salaries Mm. openly in front of certain people of color because they're like, if I tell them, I don't know if they're being paid under or Mm. over. Um, But, like, I know for me, and I can't speak for y'all, but I... And most fearful of sharing my salary with my family or people that Mm. um, could ask me for money. And then sometimes I'm also scared to tell um, women and women that my women coworkers how much I make because there have been scenarios like you mentioned as there was one point um, an old supervisor of mine. I found out that her she actually ended up finding out that her subordinate made the same amount as her. And then I made the same amount as her at some point and she had done way more work than both of us. And she mm-hmm. also was doing a higher level strategy work. Um, she deserved more. She had more experience. She put in more work. She did her thing. And she managed both of us at different points. And um, I know that I have a fear of that sometimes sharing because I'm like, mm-hmm. I have that privilege as a um, as a man, regardless of being gay. But my visible identities is being a man. Even though I'm a black man, I've always been 
I've never had to negotiate salary that roughly. I've I've been usually paid properly um, or promoted properly. So I do have a fear in sharing that. Um, do you think, are there certain people that you fear sharing your salary with or um, or have you had that instance in which if somebody shared um, and they found out that, let's say they found out you made less or you saw a coworker find out they made less, do you see these fears happen in the workplace when salaries are shared and where that or origins may come from for each of you, if you have that? I mean, for me, it's two things. <laughs> I don't like sharing my money, how much I make with my family. It's just because... You know, I don't, like you said, like, I don't want people to have this image of me and expectations. You know, I think for me, it's more about expectations. Oh, well, you should buy X or you should do X and you should be able to afford X. But it's like, no, I don't want to do that. So there's, for me, I feel like there's an expectation level with my family. Um, with coworkers, I know I've been very friendly with the accounting department. So I know a lot <laughs> of how much my coworkers make. And I don't want to talk to certain people just because of that. Um, but when I said earlier, when I found out about how much one of my coworkers made, he was a black man. And I was like, you were able to do that? And he was like, yeah. And he was the one who really encouraged me after that conversation, plus a lot of research that I did about how much with my experience and in my industry, in my um, location, um, how much I would be able to get. And, um, I mean, there's several resources. Glassdoor is one that I used a lot. Um, even for, because I work in construction industry, there's, like, Hayes, a really big recruitment agency. So they always pu publish um, different salaries and different expectations based off of X amount of experience level, um, things like that. So that's how I've been able to find out about that. But I do think that, for me, it's really comes down to I don't want people to expect or think that I'm X because I make X amount of money. Or well, what do you mean when you say X? What is X? <laughs> what do you mean by, like, how much I make? No, you said you don't want people to expect that you're X. What is the X that you're trying to avoid? I think that for me it's like, okay, well, you're too smart or you're too focused on money or why do you th why do you think you should be making so much money that's how i think and that comes about that's really about me and not the person it's this is these are just my own internal fears and about to, how people view me and to explore that let's say you are smart you are smart and let's say you are hardworking, and let's say you do make sure you get the bag why why do you where do you feel like that um reservation or that issue for you comes from Sorry to turn this into a therapy. I'm like, damn, what the fuck happened? This is not Talkspace. I'm like, this is not a, this is not my therapist yeah, couch. Also not being sponsored by Talkspace. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Are I mean, you simmer on that? Yeah, um, can you go to another person and ask the okay, question? So, um, no, I just think yeah. that, I think that we're told to... Um, we need to hide our salary because we need to protect it. Um, we're like kind of like either directly or indirectly taught that if you talk about your salary, someone's going to ask you, like they're going to take ownership of theirs or someone's going to have a stake in the money that you make in mm -hmm. some way or fa uh, form or fashion. So you need to protect what you have. Um, and like the, 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 the backlash from that is that we don't have very much. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we have <laughs> uh, we have very little, and in some ways, it's uh, create a fear to ask for more because we think that we should be satisfied with what we get. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. ultimately, we have to have that. We need to be more like that coworker that you had, and we need to be braver about how much money we're we're making and how much having discussions about what our merit is worth, what the work we're doing is worth, and strip it from um, any type of uh, gender associations, race associations, um, sexuality associations, and just let the work stand for itself and have conversations about um, what is your work worth? Not what are you worth, like not what you worth as a black woman, not what you worth as a woman, man, et cetera, fill in the blank spaces with whatever identity you want to. It's about this is the work that I do and what is this work worth? And that's what the conversation should be um, if we're going to, if more people are going to, um, if we want to change our communities and if we want to spread equity, that's what the conversation ultimately has to be because not having it is is, is leading to a lot of um, um, yeah, that's worse. disparity. Yeah, and that's what he told me too when he, when I was having that conversation because I remember it clear as day because it all hit it it just all clicked. He told me he was like, "I'm gonna tell you how much I make," and I was like, "Why? Like, why you, like, why is this like a thing that we're even talking about?" He said, "Because so that we are informed about what you can make and what is available to you, because we think that since our community has been." maltreated or we haven't even been able to get what we deserve for so long that even the little that we get that is even just just a tiny bit more than what our parents or what our people in our family has been able to make that okay this is just enough but no like the white man and he's making 68 cents more than what you're making so there's this huge gap that there's even more that we can grab onto that we are even aware of. But I think, and just to add on to what you're saying, it takes a lot of strength to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Because Boldness. even though, yeah, like even though yeah. we're admitting, yeah. or at least you're admitting and being vulnerable in that sense of letting us know that like I've been able to achieve because someone else exposed themselves to me in a way that was um, not socially um, expected or... Um, prevalent and like as we sit in this room we're all saying ultimately like we are con- uncomfortable discussing our salaries it's something that we won't do um but he was selfless in that moment and kind of like disregarded all of the taboos um because ultimately if you're not getting paid what does that have to do with the person that is getting paid more than you exactly that has nothing to do with it and the yeah, more you conversa- think about it <laughs> the more conversations that you have with other people, the more you realize that you're not alone, the more mm-hmm. you can redirect your energy to the common enemy. But, like, that enemy or the people who enforce these structures are able to prosper because we have this fear of each other. We aren't targeting the right people, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like I'm afraid of the person next to me that has just as little instead of the person that has more that can actually give me something. So it's like I'm not going to tell my parents. I'm not going to tell my friends. I'm not going to tell my other coworkers um, because I'm afraid they're going to take what I have instead of like instead of kind of reforming our focus to how can I get more? How can I utilize instead of being fearful of them and running from them? How can I collaborate with them to, to to pursue more to get more for for me and get more for us instead of being satisfied with what i have 
So I actually want to um, touch upon the satisfaction of what you get or um, or what is um, presented to you in terms of salary. Um, so Charlemagne, the god, um, many people might not know. He also has a podcast. He's a radio personality. He's lit, He's dope. But I know that some people may view him as problematic in some senses, but I do believe he's very intelligent. So in his book, he had a principle about if you are coming up in a certain industry and you are early or mid-career or making a transition, like even though you might be worth a certain amount to be comfortable taking, if they, let's say you ask for something. Like, let's say you ask for $65,000 and they give you 58000 and you're breaking into an industry, but you, he says to take the 58 and you're not always going to have to take the 58, but to take it in this moment because you're going, it's going to support you in the future. Like not to always be so stuck on salary or so stuck on a certain figure because you may lose opportunities. Um, so do you think that, the pursuit of um, pushing for a certain salary may inhibit an opportunity. Do you resonate with that principle he mentioned in his book? Um, or do you feel like there is never a good time to receive crumbs? Or do you feel like mm-hmm. that there is certain times where you can receive um, a crumb or two, even if you, knowing that you not always will receive the crumbs? Um, I think that, yeah. Like, when you're first starting off, when you're out of college, of course, you can't get $100,000, like <laughs> we all imagine. But, yeah, you should take you should take crumbs, but the crumbs is relative, right? What is the entry-level salary for your role? The, the national average for a beginner is not $30,000. It's more in the $45,000, $50,000 range. So you should know that. You should ask for that because that's what the national average is. You should go in with that confidence. But then at the same time, another thing that you have to think about, it's not just the number of how much they're paying. There are tons of other fringe benefits that you can negotiate into your contract, which I'm finding about, okay, in six months, after you see me work for six months and I'm actually good at my job, give me a $10,000 raise. That's another thing that you can play into your contract. Or another thing is, okay, my subway fee, I do not want to pay it pay for my transportation back to work and from work or if it's um i want to go to to the gym i've had that one they'll pay for my gym um there are tons of other things that you can come up with just apart from your base pay and once you figure those other things it actually gives you more money than just your regular pay because your salary your salary ultimately is one part very important part of your all comprehensive employee package yeah package keyword (laughs) it's not just it's not one thing you definitely pursue those other avenues that tiny's talking about you know in terms of healthcare, in terms of like access to retirement in terms Mm -hmm. of like how much are is this company willing to invest in you besides what you the instant gratification of the salary Okay. Right? And that's what Tanya's talking about here. Yeah. Like, how are you supporting me holistically, Mm -hmm. lifestyle-wise, you know, in terms of going to my health and wellness, in terms of um, if I get sick, in terms of what's going to happen to my family if something Mm -hmm. happens to me, how are you supporting me as an employee? Your salary is a very crucial part of that, but it's only the immediate part of that. There's so many other things. And you got to look at 
when you're an employee, you got to look at, you know, when you're an employee, when you're a black woman, when you're negotiating in these these spaces, when you're sitting at the table with these very powerful people, um, whether powerful in society or just powerful in your everyday life, then you need to think about what is it that I need to sustain myself and in what ways can they serve that? Um, but going back to your thing about Charlemagne and his principle, I think Charlemagne is not telling us to take crumbs. I think he's telling us to wait in line for the bread, you know, Um don't wait outside and, and, and take someone else's crumb. I think you got it. And then you have to be able to gauge that. You have to be able to gauge what's the long-term impact. And it goes back into this idea of like instant gratification versus long-term growth, right? If you know that maybe I'm going to be taking less money, but ultimately I know that I'm going to develop and have the skills necessary for me to ask for more at another company. Mm-hmm. And you got to be able to gauge that. Yeah. Like what's the mo- most important thing for you right now to be a – a force um or for you to be you know if you if you want to have extra cash in your pocket with this one particular company versus being able to go anywhere anytime with the skill set necessary for your industry mm-hmm. um and i think that's that's important to like know how you want to develop in your industry and um in your skill set and i think that's what he's talking about there like you're gonna have to I think as a as a millennial, like it's really easy to like see those stories about like Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> you know, and just be like, Oh, he dropped out of college and now he has a multi billion dollar company and yeah. you like you know, you see yourself like you see little Jeff Bezos, you know, like mm-hmm. you think about those like the before you know, before there was uh, no, Mark, there was Bill. Yeah. You know, Gates was the one who dropped out of Harvard and then at age nineteen twenty started Microsoft and then quickly became the the, the front runner for, for software development in the nineties, you know? And that you in in you know, you knew there were great people like that who could do great things in such a short amount of time. Um but those were far and few between. Um in this world of social media, everybody looks like they're <laughs> winning. Yeah. But Instagram Instagram yeah. is the death trap almost. Yeah, and it's kind of like, how do I? It, everything's about expediency, um, and it's like, how do I get there? Um, so like, you might end up, you might end up selling yourself short ultimately to get like a quick check, and we see how that ends up with you know all these dot com bubbles and financial bubbles crashing and all. Like ultimately, that doesn't help us, like people of color. Um, we're never really in those spaces that's really benefiting from those things. Um, so I think it's it's most important to like develop a skill set mm-hmm. um, in whatever area that you are focused on, um, and then being able to charge for that skill set ultimately. Yeah, because it's it's so easy to think, okay, let me just take the small one right now. But it's like you have to look at the company holistically. What can I really gain from here? Um, I've had experiences where. I've worked at different companies where the experience was not the best, but I was able to network and where I am right now, if they wanted, they could pay me less money, but because I know the trajectory of it, of what I'm going to gain is more than losing that change. Not that I'm going to offer that to them, obviously, but there's so much other things about that company and the wealth of experience that I am around that I know is going to be beneficial in the long term so there i think that's really the brunt of what charlamagne was trying to say is that like as a young person don't be fooled into society telling you that like everybody's doing well because when you look down your instagram feed it looks like oh my god everybody's on vacation and i'm wondering like 
don't you have a like a regular job? Where do you work that you're on vacation like every other day? Like what's going on? Um, yeah. And that's another thing, actually, that you can negotiate into your packages, vacation days. Because they would be very quick to give you only five. But you can also tell them, you know what? I'll take this 50K, but I want three weeks of vacation. And you know what the three weeks of vacation is? That's two weeks of additional pay above the five days that they would have given you already. So the money, I don't know, the extra $10,000 that you would have killed buying God knows what, you just got yourself two weeks of free time to, you know what, worst comes to worst, you stay at home and watch Netflix for two weeks. So and that works out. So in terms of, like, negotiating, even though I know all of us have, when we have either started our jobs or moved jobs, um, we ask for a certain amount or at least it's given to us. I know for myself... Um, I've only negotiated when starting a new job and when I'm in a current job and I think I'm supposed to be paid more, I've had conversations with leadership and I Mm kind of do like these, um, how do I say this? I do like indirect threats kind of, um, kind of saying like, hi, I know cause I, you know, my, I raise money. So it's like, I literally am the bottom line. Or I support the bottom line or the, so I'm kind of like, oh, I know that I'm doing well. I know I'm the shit kind of. And, you know, I, I like working here, but I'm going to also look for something. I'm open. This is the goal I have, and this is what I want to do. And it would be great if I can have it here. But if I don't, I'm, I'm comfortable finding it somewhere else. And I've had those type of conversations in spaces. And then all of a sudden, I get more money or a new position. Mm-hmm. But I think also I don't want to discount the fact that I am also a man. And that may be a little easier um, just based on my, um, what I, I guess, how I'm represented a mm-hmm. bit. Um, but have there been moments in your careers where, um, let's say you are doing good. You, um, are not maybe making what you should be making anymore. Or they like, they should have bumped you up a while ago. Um, how, if you had those experiences, can you kind of, um, explain what that was like, what happened and then kind of how you navigated through that? And if, yeah. Oh, um, (laughs) Yeah, I've had those experiences before. It didn't really come down to, oh, I'm going to either leave this company because you guys aren't paying me X amount of money. My experience was um, they wanted me to take over like a really big project and they wanted everything done in a certain amount of time. Um, it was going to be more work than on top of my already packed um, scope of work. So what I had to do is, and this is true story, and I took this from Insecure with Issa Rae, is when she talks to the mirrors, I did the superwoman pose in front of the mirror because what we were saying earlier takes a lot of courage. It's not easy to stand in front of these people and ask for more money, and I had to do it. I sat in front of this mirror for five minutes, and I talked to myself, and I was like, you know what? You, your worth means this much. He knows that your worth means X, and he knows that you deserve this, and you deserve this because you are going to bust your ass and you're going to put in the work. And I went in there, and I was like, this is how much I want. And the funny thing is, I actually, and you should always do this, ask for more money than you think you're going to get. So if you think you're going to get actually $10,000, ask for fifteen, and then they'll meet you in the middle. You don't want to get asked for 
what you're comfortable with. You want to go above what you're comfortable with and then meet them in the middle. But I asked him for more than what I was comfortable with. And he actually just gave it to me. He was like, okay, no problem. And I was like, okay. That was very easy. But it doesn't always happen like that. But it doesn't always happen like that. But I was, um, that was just one example of, that was my first time actually really, while I was in a job that I asked for more, for more money, I've always just done it before I started working. When I was signing my contracts with them, I would always have, this is what I want. And then that was it. And we would either come to some sort of agreement or midway that I was comfortable with. It's been my experience. Thanks, Tanya. How about you, Marissa? Um... My industry is different from Tanya. Um, she works in the private sector. I work in the public sector. Um, and I work in education where there's, like, really specific space, uh, pay scales and mm-hmm. kind of, which is helpful, like, a lot more transparency about how much people should be getting paid, which is supposed to leave more room for equity. And I've seen the way that if you know how much people are supposed to be getting paid in certain positions, I've seen the inequality inequality manifest in different ways in that there will be plenty of black women that are teaching um but you can count on one hand how many people are leading the schools that they teach in Mm -hmm. so that's the ways in which i watch these things manifest um who are these opportunities afforded to um Mm. and therefore like who are able to make more um and therefore put also others in positions of power to earn more um so, yeah, I, I haven't had that experience where, like, I really had to negotiate because I've been in the same job since I graduated school, um, school. But I have seen a trend in which there is non-whites. Um, there, are more, uh, there are more non-whites outside of leadership than in it. And there isn't that equity amongst leadership. Um, yeah, that's the way I've, I've seen that manifest. And I think that's something that's very reoccurring throughout. There are a lot of, when you look at the executives, um, who are those people? Why don't they ever look like me? There's so much of them centralized. And you know, I don't know the answer, honestly. But it's like there are a lot more of them who are controlling it. And it comes down to also what we were talking about. It's like, why don't we ever talk about what our paychecks look like? Why don't we ever talk about the zeros behind it or whatever it is? And it's like our problem is not with each of us, not the, us, the coworkers. It's really those executives who don't even look like us, yeah. who are the ones who make more than what we make. They might make double what we make or triple what we make. Or we know? think that number on that contract is actually a reflection of how much we're worth. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. If this is my number, I don't want to share my number, <laughs> yeah. number and realize how much I ain't shit. Yeah, like if I was feeling like I was wasn't shit or worse off, if I really thought I was some shit, and then you shared your number, well, goddamn, okay, I didn't need yeah. that reality check. I yeah. know when I'm around white, my white men peers, and let's say we have the same level of experience, um, I'm afraid to even talk about pay with them mm. because I've heard and I find out that they get paid more than me, even if I produce more than them, and and I and it's kind of like uncomfortable for both of us because then mm. it becomes. Me, like, uh, I know, like, I know y'all like me, but why is this? I know this is a racial thing. Like, it's like, I, I can't, it's, 
it's hard to explain to people who don't have to deal with their race affecting their opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they're going to be like, Oh, how do you know? And it's like, it's something, you know, it's something, you know, like, it's just like, you feel it's an instinct that you can feel. Um, and it's like your last exhausted, um, option sometimes like, when you're like, I know. And then the hard part is that then they also feel kind of this guilt that they're getting paid more than you. And you're both in this like kind of weird dance where you don't know what to do about it. But the thing about it for me, it's like, I don't know is no. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know, but I think it's an injustice, the fact that I even have to ask the question. And, and that's where it lies. Like, I, yeah. I don't know how much my race, I don't know how much my um, sex has played a role in my professional development. I don't know. I can't say that with certainty. I can say with certainty, however, like I told you before, there is a trend in the people that are in leadership and the fact they're oftentimes white males, white women. They're not men of color. They're not women of color um, oftentimes. That I can say with certainty. But how much my identity has played a role in my professional growth and development, that I cannot. But the fact that I can ask the question is a legitimate question that burdens me is the problem. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, and I think that also, too, on top of all of that, we we have to, it's about me. You know, it's about me and what I think about myself more than anything. Because if I'm afraid to face the fact that, or even the, just in general, why would I think that because they pay me, I don't know, $50,000, that means I'm only valued as a $50,000 employee, or that's who I am as Tanya, you know, because it's not, you know, it's like, I'm funny. I'm corny. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I'm on your resume. Yeah. you know. (laughs) (laughs) She is corny as all hell. (laughs) They're like, "Mm, exactly what we're looking for. You know, but no, but to be serious though, it's like, I have to think about that, you know, but it's more important. It's like, why do I even have to question if all of those things play a role in it? That's the injustice. Yeah, and it's the fact. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that I have to, that that the question would even cross my mind. Yeah, you know, that's what women experience. Um, that's what black men experience. Um, and if you're a white male, you've never had to ask that question. When mm-hmm. you define yourself, or you look in the mirror, and it's like, you know, Tom is charismatic. Tom is brilliant. He is um, creative. Mm-hmm. He is thoughtful. And when I look in America, I'm uh, in the mirror. I'm like, I'm a, I'm black. I'm, like, I'm, a woman. <laughs> I'm all the things you can see, you know. Whereas Tom, he's defined by what he can show you, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm defined by what you can see off of me immediately, or what you can read on a a U.S. Census form. And it's, I think it's also, I definitely agree. I think it's hard to explain to folks, even people of color, who I think we we don't all have a monolith experience. So, like, as a black person, especially when you look black, especially, and not no hate to, you know, my light-skinned brothers and sisters or people who are, like, more racially ambiguous, but, like, there is this whole, like, I, I think in the back of my head, it's not something I would say, like, it was just told to me by my parents. It's, like, a whole cultural thing. Like, when Scandal says, when, when Olivia's father says, you have to work twice as hard to get half of what they get, that is a real-ass, like, complex. Like, that is real. Like, I do feel that I think constantly okay i'm black so like how is this going to inform how people perceive me how is this going to inform and if especially being black and young how is this going to perceive how valuable i am to this organization or how people view me and if i'm not as accommodating how is that going to affect me because 
I feel like I'm more um, disposable than someone who's not. And the only time I'm not disposable is when they want to showcase diversity. Like a real internal conflict or a conundrum is when you watch someone in a role that you know they're not qualified for. And when they have shown Mm. you time and time again that they aren't competent, they aren't effective. And when you have shown in juxtaposition to that what competency, what effectiveness looks like and know that like – they're still in that higher role than you, and they've been, they, they're able to maintain that role, um, and that that is a struggle, right? Like, because then you have to. It's like if I'm just going to think about my marriage, I'm just going to think about like my work and like what I produce, and this should be the only thing I'm judged by, and the only way in which I compare myself to others. And then you do that, and you see someone in a role that does not deserve it just based on merit. Like you are not effective, and I am, and I know that. And not only have I been validated by my own work, but I've also been validated by the other people around me. And therefore, all they're still able to be in that role um and that's when you start turning to those other questions and that's when you start having that 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 sense of um feeling uh, undervalued um and feeling trapped and imprisoned by like your skin color your sexuality because like it's like oh snap like no matter how hard i work like and the things i do have control over it doesn't matter in relation to the things i do because i see the example of injustice right now you can't do it but you're still allowed to Mm -hmm. and let's say the flip side of the coin on let's say like you worked in meritocracy like i work so hard i think all of us regardless of the most intelligent and hardworking person we all make mistakes in our careers and one of the main reasons I know I transitioned out of my last organization is due to, um, even though I was a high performer, when I made a mistake, it was um, highly criticized and I felt like I w- there was an over-punishment for it. Instead of it being a learning opportunity, it was more of, this is a part of your character. And it was like, how is this a part of my character if I did it one time? Like, you know, like usually your character is a repeated um, set of actions. And I then I would see my peers, they would make maybe a similar mistake and it would be seen as, oh, this is a learning opportunity for them. (laughs) And I'm like, but why isn't it for me? Like, and and it's just kind of like the only difference I can see at this point, especially if I have more experience than them and we're in the same position, is my blackness. Because that's Mm -hmm. the visible, that is the visible thing for us, at least, um, if we're comparing one another. And then when like, when others or people different from you define you solely by your mistakes, you start to internalize that. Yeah. Right. And like, then you are then motivated by fear instead of growth. Cause it's then like, okay, I'm just trying to avoid X. I'm just trying to avoid seeing you spend your whole time, like trying to swerve like all these potholes. Like you're never really focused on whatever direction is that's driving you. Um, whereas other people are able to just focus on like leveling up. I was here and I'm trying to get here. And I'm, here. Well, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just like trying to look left. Right. I'm trying to like, you know, like get past this, 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 this pothole. I'm trying to get, get past this, this, this huge like puddle over here. I don't get splashed, you know, like, and you can't just focus on the road ahead. It's like, um, I watched two things that actually kind of align to that. It's like, I watched the newest Nike ad with mm-hmm. Serena Williams, yes. where she talks about your fire and using that fire to just excel. Like, they think you're crazy. Use that crazy. You know, and I watched Grey's Anatomy, their latest episode, and there's Dr. Weber. They're still on? Yes. <laughs> Damn, Shonda. It's like season, I don't know even what season it's it over is. 10. It's over 10. It's over 10. No, I'm just really hoping that it beats out, like, the chairs and the mashes of yeah, the century. No, it, it's, like it's still it on. Is. It's still on. It's so good. But they Dr. Weber, it, no, it's I'm I'm part of that. I'm part of that. <laughs> um, but Dr. Weber talks to his daughter, Kelly. Um, 
forgot her name. But anyway, he talks to his daughter, who is kind of his stepdaughter, but she's also a black woman, and she's the chief of thoracic surgery. And she was like, she saved this white woman's life, who was her bully in med school. And she was so upset because this woman wrote an article that barely gave her mention, and the surgery that she did literally is unheard of. It was the first of its kind, but the woman didn't give her credit, and she was so upset. But what Dr. Weber, the older black man, said to her is, you take that fire because he said when he first started in med school, he was the only black person. And every other doctor was called by Dr. This, but he was only referred to as Weber. And he's like, they always undermined him. They always bullied him. They didn't expect anything good for him. They thought he was little. But what he did was he interpreted that he took that energy that they gave back to him and he bounced it back with fire. He bounced it back with being better. And if it's like, if you don't think I'm good enough, but guess what? I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better than your wildest dreams because guess what? The bar that you're already setting for me is so low. And I think that like, I've even experienced that in my job is that like, I work with only men, honestly, there are not that many women in my field anyway. So it's a lot of, there's my race, which I don't really know how much that plays with because it's just me. But I think that more than my race being a black woman, they look at me as just a woman. It's like, why is a woman here? But it's like you take that energy that they give you and it's like, I'm going to be best at this because guess what? Maybe there's shit I don't know. But there's shit that they don't know either. And I've seen incompetent people at higher positions than me. And there's incompetent people who keep me asking questions that I know the answer to. So guess what? I'm just going to do my shit and be good at it and be my best. And to jump on that, and I'm going to um, move to our uh, my final question, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of me learning, let's say you said, for instance, you have a, you and the accounting department are tight, so you know how much people are making. And um, I know from my experience, like, people of color who are aligned with each other in a workspace mm-hmm. um, a colleague of mine I'm trying to make her my mentor because she dope <laughs> as hell she said that w- we meet at the water cooler and that's where we all exchange mm-hmm. information and I also in my experience it's between the folks at the water cooler who are at higher and lower positions that shared information with me along with I had um and surprisingly, my white mentors, they're my mentors now, but my white supervisors, whether they're white gay men or white straight people, they um, advocated for me to have a better salary mm-hmm. or a higher position. And I wanted to ask, I know, Tanya, you mentioned earlier in the episode that there was a black man who advocated for you. Um, do you believe, sorry, not believe, do in your experience, yeah, Andre? Sorry to cut you off. You said people advocate to other people for you to have a higher salary. So, like, they're advocate either they're the decision maker or they're advocating to the decision maker for you mm, okay. to make sure that you have a more equitable or higher position or more money. Yeah. Do you? F- I'm saying because Tanya said that someone yeah. encouraged her. She he, didn't someone for for me. Me. he didn't advocate for me. I was gonna. Yeah, he didn't advocate for me. Not- he just talked to me about what he made and I was like oh okay that's what he needed to but tell he, me but he encouraged you to yeah um, he encouraged me but he never went to anyone for but me. even vice versa the mm-hmm. advocation or the um encouragement to get to have more than you uh, to have your worth to have what you deserve um as black women in the workplace um let's say have if you've worked with other women of color if you worked with men of color if you worked with white folks um, in your experience, do you feel I know in my experience, I've received um, that from different people of all identities, mm-hmm. vice versa. I've received hell on earth from people of all identities, including those of my own queer black folk as well. Do you 
what has been your experiences in your careers in terms of encouragement and advocacy? I've never really had anyone advocate for me, honestly. I've done what I've noticed is really good for me is I go to happy hours. <laughs> <laughs> and once the drinks start flowing, just make sure you don't drink as much as the people in the accounting department or any of your bosses because loose lips start to go and that's where all the secrets start spilling. That's what's worked for me. <laughs> I, and that's me being honest is that like I go to a lot of happy hours. I get very friendly. A lot of these people, um, the way I've been able to move a lot in my career is that I talk to a lot of them. Like there's a lot of conversations that I've had with a lot of the superiors and it's just information because once you have information, knowledge is power. That's what you need. Like what you don't know kills you. And there's a lot of people who are doing so much more than you are. It's not because they're, they have two heads. It's just because they know more. So you don't even think to ask for what you don't even know. So that's what's worked for me is just staying very informed about company <laughs> particulars. <laughs> that's that's just how, yeah. I've never really had advocacy. I mean, I've had people give me recommendations, but no one has really advocated for me. They've I've just been able to move in a way that I know God's been on my back, but it's information. And that's how I've been able to be bold enough to walk into those rooms and just be like, Okay, so this is where we're at. This is what's happening. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of it has to do with um, what ultimately Cheryl's trying to do with this black woman payday mm -hmm. on August 7th. It's kind of like starting this necessary conversation so you're aware. Um, in the same way, like, Tanya wouldn't have been aware unless that black coworker said something to her. Um and we wouldn't be aware that women of color are still only making 38 cents less than white men and 21 cents less than white women. Um, it's having the conversation and saying it out loud so that you could, like, have that wide-eyed moment of the, like, WTF, huh? Like, and, like, do something about it. Um, we can't make a move, on, like, unless, as Tanya said, we're, like, unless, as Tanya said, we're knowledgeable and we're aware. And um, part of that is... Number one, sharing the information you do have. Like, don't keep that stuff to yourself. Like, if you know, um, if you see someone coming up and, 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 and you're aware of what should be happening, what shouldn't be happening, say something about it. You know, like being able to share information and, and being able to ask questions and creating that space of inclusion in, like, in the conversation. You know, we can't have it unless that a space is created for it. And we can be, you know, as we strive for more, we can be the leaders at least in the discussion. Um, and I think that's where it starts. So thank you. I want to say um, I'm, I think that's one thing I'll take. Um, that's a, an amazing piece of advice, Marissa, and you always continue to be my life teacher along with Tanya. And I, I guess um, listeners, um, one thing to encourage all of us as a generation or outside of a generation or outside of um, being a person of color or being a person of color is transparency so let's try to continue having this conversation and not let let it end here and i want to thank um these insightful and brilliant ladies for being here with me today so thank you both um for joining me again 
Of course, of, of course. course. This is always we had no choice, but here. <laughs> <laughs> I was not yeah. gonna sleep in my apartment if he if I didn't come here. Y'all my yeah. best talent. There's <laughs> <laughs> one door down, you couldn't have slept in the apartment. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. yeah, awesome. Always always a pleasure to come here and have these discussions and yeah. um bring more awareness to the experience of those that are often like made to feel invisible. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not crazy if you're like, is this happening to me? You're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. You're not alone. It is happening to you if yeah. you feel it. Like, do not question. Um, do not doubt your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel it, there's a reason you feel it. And know you're the only one not feeling it. Find, exactly. find the others and do something about it. Because there are others. And I would say, do your Googles. I'm telling you, do your Googles. You don't even know. But apart from doing your Googles, go to happy hours when they always have them. <laughs> Telling you, I've I've learned a lot at those things. So you heard it. Go to happy hour. So thank you everyone for tuning in. We're gonna clock out. Bye bye.